as soon as we formed that partnership, we found we had co-funders and and scientists who were really excited to build upon the audience that that BBC had reached with the documentary and hopefully to 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 bring that science and bring that inspiring real world to a demographic that doesn't typically watch, you know, a BBC nature documentary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Geekoscopy 101, the podcast that explores the intersection between science, story, and play with me, your host, Dr. Yanis Kiss. Today, we're exploring the ocean depths with video games and CEO of E-Line Media and the creative director of the Beyond Blue game, Michael Angst. But before I get to the show, I would like to thank everyone who's subscribed on YouTube. We've recently reached 200. I'm quite excited about it. And to commemorate that, I am giving away Beyond Blue on Steam. And if you would like to join in that competition and enter, you can find the link in the description below. But anyway, let's get back to the interview. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you doing? Ah, nice to uh, get to talk to you. I'm excited. Um, I was exceptionally excited to get to speak to a CEO of a company. I don't think I've ever done that before. Um, so it was really cool that I got sent all the way up the chain. I thought I was going to get like maybe a mid-level developer or something. So I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, part of the uh, benefits of being CEO is I get to choose the interviews I do, and uh, I was very intrigued by the theme of your podcast and some of your your prior releases. So I asked our, our marketing folks if I could chat with you because I'm excited about what you're trying to accomplish and really, really inspired by your mission. For sure, thanks. So today's podcast is about one particular game, although you involved it with many but i wanted to chat to you uh, about beyond blue specifically uh, which is a game based on being a marine biologist in the future so how did that idea come about where, where did the inception of the game start i guess as a setting as a company we're a consumer game developer and publisher um, that focus on games that are about the real world and so i wouldn't say we wouldn't refer to them as documentary games you know they are very much fictional worlds and, and you know, they have narratives and characters and hopefully, you know, deep, deep and moving experiences, but they are definitely inspired by the real world, which we think is an awesome place. And, and we had done a game prior to Beyond Blue that was about culture. It was about an Alaska native culture that we had done in collaboration with a tribal organization in Alaska who wanted to share a story that had survived for thousands of years through their oral storytelling t- uh, tradition through a game. Um, and in so doing that, the the game uh, included these insight videos, these videos that we uh, shot while we were making the game with them that allowed a player, as they were unlocking things in the game, to learn more about Alaska Native culture from the people who were uh, our creative collaborators on the game from the community. And the game broke out for us. It, I think we've reached almost 5 million players with uh, with yeah, that game cool. called Never yeah. Alone. And um, at the uh, BBC uh, was in the uh, process of making a, a wonderful nature documentary series called Blue Planet 2, uh, which is part of their flagship nature series. And they had seen Never Alone and thought it would be interesting to combine some of the documentary footage and some of the, the storytelling they had with real world scientists with a fictional game that was inspired by the science and the storytelling in their series. And so they they called us up and invited us to do some creative ideation around a new game inspired by Blue Planet 2. And as soon as we formed that partnership, we found we had co-funders and, and scientists who were really excited 
to build upon the audience that that BBC had reached with the documentary and hopefully to 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 bring that science and bring that inspiring real world to a demographic that doesn't typically watch you know, a BBC nature documentary. So that was the origin story of this particular project. Mm, mm. That's pretty cool. I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I played only like an hour of Never Alone. I, I downloaded it. I think I got it for free on PS Plus, probably uh, on PlayStation. And I played a bit and I think I got uh, distracted by other new releases and never got to it. And then yeah, it's a- I regret that choice. <laughs> I need to go back and play it too. Yeah, if you do have a chance to play it, I would say play it with a friend. It's it's a you know what what it was a tough uh, is a tough difficulty curve. You know when you play it single player, you have to character switch, and um, it's a better game if you play it as couch co op. I think you can play it online co op now using Steam's little little online co op feature. But um, mm. it's a fun game if you play it with a friend. So we would invite you to to play it that way. Okay, we'll try couch co op. I didn't know it was couch co op actually. I don't remember. Um, I think Couch Co-op is like one of those things. It's like it's such a rare gem to get a game that's Couch Co-op these days, mm-hmm. especially good ones. Uh, and I don't know why, because I'm sure like a lot of developers would have, you know, started off their gaming for a year, you know, playing with their friends, like playing GoldenEye and stuff like that. And so I wonder why it's dying out. Um, I'm hoping you guys make more good stuff. Yeah, we like the intimacy of of small party co-op. All the games that we're making now will either have two-person cooperative missions or three or four-person cooperative missions. Um, You know, Never Alone in particular, the theme was about interdependence and understanding Mm -hmm. how uh, we as people are, you know, interdependent with the natural world and with, in in the case of the Alaskan Native culture, the spiritual world. Um, And so it was a premise from the beginning that they wanted people to play it with each other. And we actually debated doing online co-op versus couch co-op. And, you know, they really liked mm-hmm. the idea of people being in a setting together, being face to face and experiencing the game with each other. Um, I think, you know, going forward for business reasons, we'll probably do both couch and and, and online co-op. Mm-hmm. But we love the idea of that intimacy of small party co-op. How did your team end up formulating the idea of what a marine biologist would look like? Like, did you guys liberate with with scientists or, or people in the field? How much of that? How much did you did you want to do, but maybe wasn't that realistic? What was that like? Yeah, so our, our process is is very inclusive and participatory. So whatever the real world topic is, what we try to do is find scientists who have the time to go through the entire production process with us. And so they're they're on board and they're part of the creative ideation from the beginning. Um, and that allows us to go back and forth with ideas that we think will make good gameplay and get them to help us map that to things that would feel inspired by the real world, but also to be inspired by the kind of work they're doing or the work they think will be done in the next 10 or 15 years, in this case, around ocean research. Um, And so we had uh, two lead scientists who we would talk to, you know, maybe once or twice a month. And then we had actually had a postdoc oceanographer um, and and marine biologist who was resident in the team, in the studio for the entire duration of the project. Um, I mean, I think in terms of of finding that balance between having a compelling gameplay and a great story and making it about real world science. I'll be honest, I, I, I we were more constrained by 
our own development expertise and budget than we were by the amazing, <laughs> inspiring ideas that our scientists, you know, guided us to. Um, because it's a fascinating world that's so so little explored, and it has just you know, with millions and millions of years of adaptation, there are just amazing secrets and mysteries still to be unlocked in the ocean. So we were certainly not short on material or ideas for, for mm. gameplay. How did you get the game funded? Did you do it all by yourselves as a studio? Did you manage to get any funding from like research organizations and things like that? We, we typically do a co-funding model. So our company, you know, typically does at least half of the funding. And then we try to partner with folks who have an interest in the impact theme that is underneath the game. So in this particular case, we partnered with a few uh, organizations that are impact investors focused on ocean conservation and science communication. Um, and so there are organizations like uh, one called Ocean X, which is a, a leading uh, research organization that brings the capacity, they bring vessels, they have cutting edge research vessels, mm -hmm. and they also have cutting edge media recording capabilities. And the idea is to essentially bring the real life science to consumers uh, as a global audience. Uh, and, and so they were a great and, and very mission aligned organization. Uh, and then we partnered with a few other uh, foundations or impact investors who just felt like the theme of the game was really aligned. One in particular uh, likes likes to do media that um, inspires young women to pursue yeah. careers like science, technology, engineering, and math. And that we had a protagonist and all of our lead scientists were female was aligned with them uh, in terms of having media that has very strong female protagonists that are in heroic roles in the in the material for sure for sure speaking about funding um if you guys had even more funding than maybe you got from uh you know other institutions what would you have liked to add to the game to make it better i think probably the the number one thing we would have done was allow you to play it with others i mean we we really benefited from that cooperative experience uh, with Never Alone. And when we looked at this particular game, you know, we were going 3D, we were going, you know, a much richer visual environment. And I, we didn't quite have the budget to pull off um, online co-op because we would have had to do AI for the character switching in addition to, you know, allowing you to play with others so that we could, you know, have mm. both a single player and multiplayer mode. I think that was probably the biggest place that we we uh, would love to come back to. And we actually are strongly considering a sequel. And, you know, our hope is to be able to bake that into the game design from the beginning. I would also say that when we look at the feedback we get from our players, we, you know, we have a pretty passionate player community. But I, I would say we get consistent feedback. They want to go deeper. <laughs> they, I mean, they literally want mm. to go deeper. You know, they they want to go to deeper parts of the ocean. They want to explore yeah. bigger worlds. I, I think diversity of gameplay. I mean, we have pretty limited set of mechanics in the game, and we try to keep it very accessible to players who don't have you know deep gamer skills or or have a lot of gaming literacy. Mm. But I I think we we have sophisticated gamers who love the ocean and love playing things about the ocean. So if we could get some more diverse mechanics and a little less of a linear progression, I think being a little more open world, a little more exploratory and rewarding looking around and finding clues to discover the next mission or the name gameplay, that would probably be the second thing we would do. 
I suppose the only real shortcoming that I've seen online and other uh, people that I know that have played is that the narrative was probably too short and yes. as in-depth as we would have liked it. Um, so I think you know, maybe a bit of a longer story mode would be nice. Um, and I think yes, some things that are more, I suppose, in terms of gameplay loop, but more... Um, I suppose intense or maybe something for the hardcore gamers yeah I th- I, and we agree <laughs> you know i i think mm. when, when we look at at the potential for a sequel i think we're looking at generating the missions and the gaming events a little more programmatically um so that you know mm. our, our our production costs aren't quite so linear and and i think that would both lead to more emergent experiences i think it would also allow us to create much more depth of gameplay and with, with you know more gameplay richer opportunities for narrative um, and I also think we learned quite a bit about um, how to to raise stakes and create you know that intensity or that sense that I have agency mm-hmm. and and it it matters if I fail um, and so we're actually working on uh, a we're working on a, a some DLC some updates for the game that are going to try to explore things a little more dramatically. And certainly in our plans for a potential sequel, we'll try to bring that intensity that those gamers like. Um, and we we completely agree with those with with that feedback. Was there anything thrown around about having some research involvement, like citizen science, like getting the players involved in some kind of research aspect or trying to use data in some way that other scientists could, could publish? Yeah, we, we actually started development on a couple of citizen science projects to try to take the actions that they have available and integrate them into the game. And um, again, that was something we, we ended up starting but having to, to leave for a sequel. In particular, there are projects that look at both the identification of species, you know, mapping species. Um, there are citizen science projects that look at pattern recognition. So they present data, uh, you know, whether it's imaging of of the ocean or video streams, and they look for folks to help them make sense of it, you know, in a way that machine learning can't. Um, and and we would be super excited to do that. We, we, we actually worked with a group who had done some fascinating embedded citizen science with EVE Online. It's a European group. Mm. And um, you know, we really learned a lot from from how they were able to make that part of the core gameplay. And so, you know, you broke the wall and you knew that you were accomplishing something in the real world from a citizen science perspective, but they were able within EVE to, to actually make it feel like progress in the game itself. And, mm. you know, for us, that would be important. We want to hold, you know, our standards high in terms of giving you activities that that feel like they're well integrated with the game. So we think it's a great idea. We would love to do it. And and hopefully we'll get to revisit those partnership opportunities in a sequel. For sure. I think citizen science and video games is one of those things that just makes a lot of sense, but not a lot of people are doing it. Hopefully um, going forward, um, you have games like Borderlands 3, Folded, um, and like you said, EVE Online. I think I'm, I'm currently together with a friend collaborating and writing about some citizen science games and what they do so i think there's an article in eve online that's gonna come out i forget what the other one is but shameless plug (laughs) Um, so (laughs) i look forward to it so recently just like last week zach hartsman who is um, the creator of hey listen games which writes and prepares um 
material to be taught in class about video games uh, wrote uh, a story about you guys and beyond blue trying to promote it as a way to you know discuss marine science was that something that you guys were intending at the start did there was anything you you did in the game to try and push that as a, as a teaching tool yeah so uh, you know as a company we we do both games that are monetized primarily as consumer entertainment so beyond blue you know mm-hmm. is is essentially positioned as a uh triple i budget indie game and and we have to survive from a revenue perspective on its competitiveness as meaningful entertainment um, we also make games for learning and we make games specifically for for learning environments where the goal is is purposeful learning um, in the case of beyond blue and and with never alone we wanted to make sure we didn't compromise the competitiveness of the game from a gameplay perspective. Um, mm-hmm. But what we do is we try to make the gameplay itself accessible to folks who have varying degrees of gamer skills or gamer literacy. So, you know, our hope is that both of those games are ones that even folks who don't play a lot of games can pick up and get into. We also try to avoid progress blockers in the game where so that you can experience the story, you can experience it without really, really strict challenge curves. And so some folks think that made Beyond Blue feel super easy. Um, but, you know, our, our feeling is we want people who want to put the time in to get the whole experience and, and learn everything. Um, we also we try to, to look when we chose the content for the Ocean Insights. Um, for those of you who are listening who don't know, part of the structure of these games we do is you are rewarded as you make progress in the game by unlocking these short two-minute uh, mini-documentaries. And those mini-documentaries, in this case, were never seen before or just amazing uh, footage from the Blue Planet 2 production, along with original interviews with scientists who talk about the real-world science and the real-world mysteries that inspired the mission in the game that unlocked that video. And our hope is is that that real hard science and that ability for a teacher to uh, have the kids experience some gameplay and then come back and review the videos would create an engaging experience. And, you know, we try to make those, you know, uh, relatively diverse in topics so that there's lots of choice for science teachers to, to, to choose if they want to, you know, highlight one or two areas of scientific discovery. It's, it's quite interesting where you, uh, I suppose one of the rewards is that you get to learn stuff. Um, I, I, I kind of like the, I like better the idea of uh, having a side effect be learning. I think that's that's much cooler. But I think, I mean, there's always a place for both. People have different preferences. And like you said, like the format that you use would, I think, be better in the classroom than just a straight narrative um, that I think might be difficult to do in a classroom setting where you just have like maybe an hour to tackle something. So there's places for both, but I definitely like things that are just like, okay, you're playing, you're having fun, you're being entertained, and the side effects is that you're learning. I think those things are really effective and fun for me. And and that's, I mean, that is certainly a design pillar that we share when we make our consumer-facing mm-hmm. games. And, you know, I, you know, for us, if, if we feel like um, we're ever asking you to overcome a game challenge or spend time in a game that would not be natural to your enjoyment of the game, then then we're undermining its success as a consumer product. And, you know, I mean, we, we look historically at games like uh, Civilization and uh, mm-hmm. You know, even going back to my childhood, Oregon Trail, and you know, I, you know, we think there's there's some great great examples of folks who just make the challenge aligned 
with with actually learning something about the real world and and being engaged with it. And so um, we don't think you have to sacrifice gameplay as, as long as you're taking inspiration from this awesome world we live in. Now that you have extensive experience working with, with scientists and, and, you know, the community in creating games, what kind of uh, tips would you have for other people or other game studios trying to do similar things? Yeah, I, I guess our, our first one would be to engage with the experts early um, and to teach them about game making. I mean, one of the things that I think uh, our game benefited from, as did our game with Never Alone, is that instead of just asking them for scientific references or for science, you know, we brought them in to be creative collaborators on the actual gameplay. So we got them familiar, we had them play other games like the games that we did. And, and that gave them a context where they were thinking about it really from a gameplay perspective as, as opposed to a pure science perspective. And it helped us when we tried to mine their ideas for actions, for the verbs, right? And 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 for the, the kind of technology that you might wanna have that allow you to accomplish mechanics. And like I said, I, you know, if only we had, you know, twice the budget, because, you know, as they became familiar with what it means to play uh, a, 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 uh, a single player narrative adventure, you know, as they became familiar with what it means to do uh, discovery and exploration in games or collection in games as a mechanic, they just had incredible ideas uh, on how to map, you know, high stakes missions to the gameplay. And so, you know, we, we saved all that and we're hoping to come back to that from a content perspective. But I would say treat treat your experts as game designers. Uh, and that's not to say that, that, you know, they will start that way. But if you make the investment, I think it's a lot of fun for them. And I think you end up problem solving together creatively much better than if if you just asked for the scientific reference. I think that's, that's a really important point. Also, like, I think when you get involved in a creative endeavor, you start you start becoming somebody who wants to be more involved or, or you want to kind of work in the system and, and add your thing. It's, it's something that's it's a phenomenon. I think that most Dungeons & Dragons players who become Dungeon Masters take on. They want to just break the game and make it themselves or improve it how the players want to want to play. And I think that's one of the things that you guys as game developers probably start off with, you know, and then you get want to do more and more different things and just build on it. Um, so going back to the Ocean Insights um, videos, your team posted recently on your YouTube channel, some of them, and whoever's missing out, I haven't seen Beyond Blue, uh, maybe go see some of those to see what rewards you can get in the game. Um, but it also brought to me the mind that there's a lot of theme or undertone about content creation by, you know, a scientist or just anybody really. Um, that's the one of the main characters, uh, things, Mirai's things, but also like the, the actress that plays Mirai and Akana is also a content creator. She posts videos on YouTube. I actually know about her long before I played the game. I was a big fan, but there's also like you guys now still supporting the game in, the, in that way of, of releasing content. So how important was that to the team? Like at what point did you decide, okay, we need to include this in the game and then continue to support the game, um, in that way? What, what was the thinking around that? Yeah, I guess for us, it's it's an intrinsic part of any game that we make for the consumer market. The, the idea of um, creating a an intimate relationship between the player and the experts that help us mm -hmm. mine 
the real world, we feel is a is an opportunity that as game makers, we go through that journey. And so, you know, when we made the game about uh, Alaska Native culture, we spent weeks, you know, in Alaska, you know, within the community, participating in the festivals, listening to the oral mm. storytelling. And our feeling is that by allowing the people who are the real world experts to speak directly to the audience, directly to the player, unfiltered, um, that there's just something magical about that. And it also, I think the, the videos create an opportunity for us to break the wall and say, well, this is really what the science is, or, or right, or this is really why this is exciting for our planet if we could solve this particular mystery. And, and I think that being able to do that within the video allows us to be a little more free in the gameplay itself. And so, you know, we don't have to dot every I, we don't have to cross every T, we can take a little bit of liberty, you know, with the science or the technology and then use the video to contextualize, well, this is why we took this leap. You can't really do this right now. You can't really swim this deep <laughs> as Mirai with this suit. But, but when we, you know, so why is Mirai swimming so deep in a suit instead of using a drone? And then the scientists can talk about how important they think it is for humans to witness something live, for them to, to be present live in, in a biome and for them to, and for players to see the human in the context of nature, to see just how differently adapted the creatures are relative to the human. So their recommendation was, you know what, stretch it a little bit. Let's have a magical suit <laughs> that allows Mariah yeah. to go that deep. And that way for the sure, player yeah. will feel a more intimate connection to the environment that's down there. And for those who like Japanese culture and anime and whatnot, the word Mirai actually means future, which I thought was a nice attention to detail <laughs> uh, in the video game. Yeah, the, the working title for the game, you know, was uh, was Future of the Ocean, um, and which is how okay. Mirai got her name. So uh, yeah, I appreciate your, your acknowledging that. <laughs> um, do you, Michael, get time to play any games anymore? What have you played recently or lost? You know, I, most of the games I play, I play for work to, to understand where people are doing similar things. You know, I mean, for this game, for instance, you know, I, I played countless hours of Subnautica, which is, you know, from our perspective, just a wonderfully deep game and obviously deeper yeah. and longer and and more developed than our game. But, um, you know, it was really fun to just see when, you know, with someone who took uh, the time to build that much game, what you could do in the ocean. So that we found that inspiring. Um, I, I play a lot of, of games that are looking at, uh, at narrative and, and how games with emergent narratives speak to the human condition. So Spirit Fair, mm -hmm. as an example, um, is a recent game where, you know, the, the storytelling that takes place, <laughs> you know, as you, as you do your spirit faring, um, you know, it, it just feels deep and rich and complex. And, you know, we, we take inspiration for folks who are taking risks with theme, who are taking risks with narrative storytelling, or who are just trying to make games that are moving and meaningful in general. Sure. I tried to play a bit of Subnautica, but it gave me too much anxiety. <laughs> Stop playing it. Stop playing it. I need to get the Spirit Fairer. There was another one that was also, I think it was done, Abzu. That was also a cool one. Yeah, Abzu was a reference as well. And, and um, uh, a game that is related, at least in terms of lineage, you know, Jenova Chen has... Uh, his the the new Sky game that I think is on mobile, which I think is is pushing 
the envelope in terms of approach to, to mobile and in-app purchases and, you know, doing something that is super meaningful, inviting, you know, different forms of, of collaboration in the game. And so we're, we're intrigued with where that project has gone and, and, and watching it and cheering for its success. Okay, I, I'm not aware of that. I need to check it out. So thanks for signal boosting. <laughs> But I mean, it's it's been a fun chat, Michael. It's really interesting talking to you. I hope we get to talk in the future more about whatever games uh, your your studio releases. So why don't you let us know where people can find your your work in the various ways that uh, you guys are developing? So you can find us at. Uh elimedia.com you'll find our, our developer webpage and uh, if you're interested in Beyond Blue itself it's beyondbluegame.com um, and you'll find our projects there and thanks for the invitation it was a fun chat and I look forward to to future podcasts from you I love your theme for sure thanks a lot cheers cheers have a good day <laughs>